We have uh, a couple of announcements for this morning. The, the women of the uh, Word are meeting uh, on Thursdays at 10 a.m. at the home of the Gills, and so keep that in mind for the ladies. And community group will start the 15th of February at 6 o'clock at the Hapkids. That's a Tuesday. And so uh, keep that uh, on your your thoughts uh, as we get back to meeting on a regular basis there. And our prayer needs this morning, uh, keep Phil and Arlene in prayer. They're both now at Sequoia Springs, and uh, they're in room 125. They're, they have been allowing visitors this last week, but that's something that can change just in a matter of hours, you know, depending on what's going on in there or out in the community, both. So uh, I would suggest they call to their uh, desk, to their reception desk, and ask if they're receiving visitors that day or not. You don't have to ask specifically about Phil and Arlene, but uh, if, see if they have visitors and uh, what would be a good time to come in. And uh, they enjoy being visited, so think of it that way. Uh, Jackie Davis has been at Seaview uh, in uh, recovery from her last visit to the hospital. Uh, she That's supposed to be a temporary transition, and uh, she's hoping to get transferred back to Timber Ridge, but she has to go through a whole other assessment with them again to get back in. So uh, just be praying for her that this would happen and it could be taken care of. And Kay has asked for a prayer. Uh, March 2nd, is uh, she has an appointment in reference to her eye surgery, and so I uh, want to keep her in prayer. And uh, she... She says she's just going stir crazy because she can't drive, and she, you know, she says I'm stuck way out here, and uh, out of Ferndale there. So uh, just uh, keep her in prayer, and uh, uh, that God would bring healing for her. Any other prayer needs this morning? Okay, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your love, your mercy, your grace. We come to you with a confidence that you have told us uh, we may have in reference to bringing our needs to you, that you will hear and respond to them according to your purpose, according to your will. And so we bring Phil and Arlene before you. We ask, Lord, that you would bless them, hold them, strengthen them, cause them to be comfortable where they are, and we ask, Lord, that uh, you would just minister to them in every way they need. And we just uh, we thank you for them. And as they make this transition, cause us to remember them on a regular basis in our prayers, but also possibly in our uh, time to go and visit as well. And Kay, Lord, uh, she's been so patient with all of these problems with her vision. And we just ask, Lord, that this appointment in March would be the transition point and that she would be able to uh, go ahead and, and, and get these things taken care of. Uh, she would be able to get her uh, driver's license uh, back and, and be able to, to get around again. And so we comfort, comfortably, confidently leave this in your hands and ask that you would touch her body. And Jackie, the same you would touch her, bring strength to her. Uh, she she told me very candidly and, and that she she needs to lose some weight. And so we prayed, Lord, that you would help her with that. 
and uh, that this transfer back to the Timber Ridge would be something that would happen and go smooth. And again, we confidently leave this in your hands. And Father, as we open your word this morning, we ask, Lord, that you would be with us through your Holy Spirit, that you would open our minds, our hearts, to receive from you through your Holy Spirit. Cause us to set the distractions of the, the, the day and the week uh, behind and ahead, uh, just to set them aside and be focused on you. And again, we thank you for your word. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're starting a new uh, series this morning. Uh, the series is from First Peter. And basically, uh, I guess you'd say the, the, the series title is Living as Exiles in the World. And you'll, we'll get into the details of all of that as we get into this first message today. So we're going to be looking at First Peter chapter 1, the first nine verses. And our focus today is going to be living with resurrection hope. And so uh, let's open our Bibles, if you would, to First uh, Peter uh, chapter 1. Now, I have no intention of, of parsing this out in detail. Uh, I've got a, the, the, the key focus that I want to get to, and so there's a lot of things that I will possibly jump over, uh, and you'll, you know, afterwards you'll say, oh, you missed the best part, or you missed this part, and uh, just bear with me, and, and uh, we'll get to those things that have to do with where we're trying to focus. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In Peter's introduction, we have him writing, he says, to, to the elect exile. And I'm not going to go into great details here, but the idea of elect is that God has chosen those 
that are saved. He says, so the elect or the chosen is another way of expressing that. The chosen of God in exile. Now, the exile is possibly two different things. Uh, I, there was a, a great dispersion or diaspora, as it's called in Hebrew, uh, at, at the time of, of uh, the time of Babylon invasion and, and all the Jewish people that were moved all over the Middle East. And so that is one scattering, if you will. Uh, the, and the other would be uh, the moving of the Hebrew or the, Jew, the Christians during that time as well, spreading out over that, that same area. This area of Pontus and, and Galatia and, and Cappadocia is, is modern-day Turkey, basically. And and so there's a second dispersion, meaning that the, the, the uh, a spreading out of of people because of persecution uh, of the Christians uh, during the time that Peter was writing this letter. So uh, we have this this possibility of maybe even both audiences uh, in the sense of, of appealing to them. So Peter's writing to those that have been scattered because of persecution of their faith. And he's writing to the believers specifically and trying to encourage them. So the elect people who are in exile or have been scattered, uh, there's some synonyms that go with this word exile. It's bigger than just those who are are scattered. Uh, Another word uh, in translation, sometimes this word is translated aliens. Now, in today's world, you've got to be careful how you say that. Uh, but in the, in the reality of, of aliens, meaning not foreigners, people not of this land. Okay? And so uh, he, he talks about these people that have been scattered. They are aliens. They are foreigners in a land that, where they are. Um, strangers is another term for this, uh, for the word aliens here. The elect, those who are strangers in the land... Uh, there's, there's one that I really like, though. It's called pilgrims, those who are pilgrims in the land. What we're supposed to get out of this word is basically that we are not, and you know the phrase, in the world, or of the world. We, you know, we're in it, but we're not of it. We are pilgrims passing through to a promise that God has given us. We're, we're passing through to heaven. And so, we, this isn't our, our, our residence, really, this world. We're not citizens of the world. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. And so, we even are in exile in that sense. We're not part of the world. We're part of God's kingdom. And so, uh, we look at this and... and this letter is not just only to those that are dispersed in, in Turkey, but it's to all believers, because none of us are of the world. We are all just passing through, pilgrims on the way to heaven. Peter was writing to a people chosen for this journey, and 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 and. That is, again, this idea. We've been chosen. God has called us to this. And it's the church as we go through all of this. We, the church, are passing through. 
Chapter 3 is where my focus is actually going to go, and it starts with blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word blessed here, some of them may say praise be, praise be to the God and Father, some translations. Blessed, praise, uh, the idea is, is, is giving God the glory. Uh, blessing God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Putting our hearts and our souls into this idea of who God, what God is doing. Blessed be the God of my salvation. And several ways that this has been used, and so we, we're coming to it. Peter is basically saying, bless you, God, for all that you have done, are doing, and yet to do. That's implied in this. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. His great mercy, bless Him for His great mercy. Uh, his, uh, it's undeserved forgiveness. God has, it says, He has caused us to be born again. It's important, it's such a little phrase. God has caused us. To be born again. What is, is Peter saying here? God is the source of all of the, 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 the work of salvation. He has caused us. We didn't do anything. He caused us. He opened our eyes. He brought it to our knowledge. He, he, he gave, put it before us in such a way that we would see Christ. And he, in every step of the way, He is the motivator. He is the one that is pushing it. He has caused us. So, again, getting that idea, we owe everything in reference to our salvation to what the Lord has done, to what God has done. Period. He has caused us. He alone is responsible for our salvation. And this us here that he's referring to, he has caused us. Peter is using a, a general term here uh, it's a, in, in, in plural, meaning the believers. He has caused us, the believers, all believers everywhere. The church, we could say, as a whole. He has caused us to be born again. And the idea of born again, you know, we're, we're familiar with the, the phrase that's frequently used, uh, I, I look at it and, and, and I like the phrase that comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5 uh, in verse 17. Paul wrote there, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's another way of looking at, at the idea of being born again. We have become a new creation. We're not who we were. We're not what we were. We are destined for a whole different future because God has caused His salvation to come to us. We are, we're, it's, it's an amazing thing. We should be just, it should cause us every time we think about that to, to rejoice. Even, even if it's only for a moment and silently to say, thank you, God. What He has done. What is what our future holds is all different because He's caused us to be saved. 
You've brought it into our lives. He loves us so much. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And he says here very clearly that we are born again. Now look at it here. Born again to a living hope. Got to look at words carefully sometimes just to see if you can grab everything that it's saying to you. If there is a living hope, and there's nothing here to suggest this, so you have to think about it. If this is if there's a living hope, there must be a dying hope. Or why the distinction? Ephesians chapter two talks about a dying hope. I think this is the verse that I will use. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. In other words, before you were, were called into Christ, you were separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers in the covenants of promise. Having no hope. Having a dead hope. And without God in the world having no hope without God in the world. And I was looking at this and thinking, what is it that most people run through their lives hoping for? And lots of people have different thoughts. As to, uh, I, w- I was reading an article that was, was get, listing all these different things. Uh, my, my, my hope is to, to run and finish a marathon. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a worthy thing to, to want to accomplish. My, my hope is to live to be <laughs> X number of years. My hope is to accumulate enough resources here and now so that my retirement will be comfortable. Now, we may not turn around and say that is my hope, but we, we, we show what our hopes are by what we work for, what we strive for. And I think of the, 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 the idea of, of, of IRAs and all these different things that we, we work with and work for and, and put into so that our retirement will be comfortable. These are our worldly hopes. Peter would say they are dead hopes. Why would he say such a thing? Well, because they end. They have, they, they, they have once, once they're consumed, uh, once time has come to an end, once our life ends, the hopes are over. They're gone. What Peter's talking about is a hope that goes beyond the grave. What Peter is talking about is a living hope. And, and, and it's a hope that lasts forever. It lives forever. Christ gives us a living hope. Something that we can grab a hold of and say, I have eternal hope. 
I have eternal life. I am going to live forever because of what Christ has done. Eternal life, living hope. There's people in the world that are that are, are hopeless. They have no hope because their lives are are in in a, such a, a state that they can't look ahead and see anything of value to it. And what a tragedy to be hopeless in this world. Jesus Christ says, I I can I can take you further than that. I can take you to a living hope, a hope that lasts forever, eternal life. I just think of, of sometimes the other way we say things about our hope, and it's, it's kind of a, a different way of saying it. If I only had. That's another way of saying I hope, I wish. You see, worldly hopes, hopes that are tied to the world, are basically iffy. Maybe maybe can happen. Maybe it won't. And you know that. It's it's so it becomes a wish. I wish I had, or if only I had, I would be happy. But there's a hope that comes through Christ that is eternal in its nature. It is a forever hope. It is a permanent hope. It is a solid hope. It is a definite hope. It is an absolute hope. It's going to happen. The hope is a living hope that we have. It's going to happen. We have this picture here uh, again Going back to First Peter, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, through nothing of our own. We can't put away for this hope. We can't set aside for this hope. We, can't, we put our trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. He is responsible for this hope. Our hope is in Him. That's why we call it a living hope. In fact, in reality, Christ is the living hope. He is our resting place. I think of of Peter. If anybody could write about this, from the depths of his heart, would be Peter. Think about it. Peter, he was the first to confess Christ. Matthew chapter 16. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, that's not come to you on your own. God has given you that. That's a supernatural revelation. He got it. He says, this is the Christ. The one I'm following, he, he, I'm placing everything in him. I'm giving everything uh, uh, that I've done. I'm putting it aside, putting it behind me, and I'm going to follow 
Christ. I'm dropping my fishing net. I'm, I'm, you know, landing my boat and putting it on, on, you know, on the, on the sand. I'm going after Christ. And he places everything in him. The thing is, is that his hope in Christ was based on strictly things that have to do with this world. It's an interesting thing. Peter was convinced, as were many Jewish people at the time, that when the Messiah came, he was going to run the Romans out of Jerusalem and out of Israel and out of the land that had once been the, the kingdom that Solomon had put together and restore and establish the kingdom of Israel and, and, and her greatness. And this is what he was looking for. Restoring the throne of David. Restoring the kingdom of Israel. In fact, even after the resurrection, the disciples said, Okay, now Jesus, are we going to go and, 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 and into Jerusalem and, and kick out the Romans? And Jesus says, Nope, what you're going to do is you're going to go Back to the upper room, you're going to pray and stay there until the Holy Spirit comes. And then you'll know where you're going from there. Peter's hope was all in that. In fact, when Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and from there on and at the cross and, every, and all the way along, along the way, Peter's hope went to hopelessness. He was discouraged. He denied Jesus three times. And when the, the women from, from, that had come to, 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 to the tomb, and Mary Magdalene and to the tomb and, and seen they, they, an empty tomb, they, they ran back and, and, and he saw the empty tomb and he walked, he walked away saying, I don't understand. I don't know what's happened. In fact, at one point, Jesus in Acts chapter 3, it says he, was, he came to them in the upper room where they were hiding, basically. And it says they were in fear. This is where Peter was. He'd gone from hoping in Christ in a physical, worldly sense to hopelessness. And then through what Christ did at Pentecost, you start to look at his sermons and, and you start to realize there was a whole new thing birthed in him. In fact, you look at uh, Peter, and uh, he preaches Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection in chapter 2 of Acts. And then he does it again in, in chapter 3 of Acts in Solomon's temple. And he's preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and eternal life. He's gone from worldly hope to hopelessness to a living And in that living hope, declaring Christ his Savior. 
this living hope is an amazing thing. I want you to look at verse 4. Look what it includes. And I said it includes. It's not definitive here. It's not the, the whole list of, of what's involved in it. It, it says, uh, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Imperishable means it's free from decay. It's free from death. It's free from decay. It's undefiled. It means it's free from any kind of impurity. Uh, maybe the inverse. It's perfect without blemish. Unfading. The, typical, the, the actual thought here is free from the ravages of time. Now, when you, hear the, when you think of the idea of the ravages of time, everything starts in time does what? It, it breaks apart, it breaks down, it, it, it decays, basically. So it's, it's, it's perfect, it's unblemished, it's free from decay. It's free from the ravages of time. Uh, it's unfading. I love this picture, unfading. To me, it, it's the, like the fading of the sun in a sunset. The sun doesn't set anymore in that context, in the way of looking at that. And it says in verse 5 that this is guarded by God's power. God's holding it in heaven for us, and it's guarded by His power. What could possibly interfere with it if it's guarded by God's power? We're told in Romans chapter 8 that absolutely nothing can separate us from this love that God has for us. And here again, it's kind of repeated in the sense that it's protected by God's power. There is absolutely nothing that can interfere with it, obstruct it, pull it away. Once you have Christ, you have eternal life. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Inheritance, eternal life. Guided by God's power. So what does verse 6 say? Rejoice! Rejoice in this! Get excited about it! You have eternal life. You have a living hope. In Jesus Christ. Even though you go through trials and tribulations in this world. By the way, why are there trials and tribulations in this world? Because of sin. We could just say it in, in a general format. say Because Adam sinned. Or Eve sinned. Like Adam blamed Eve. You know, so. Or... We could just say because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and accept our responsibility. As a result, we've sinned, we fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We deserve to die. And yet God has, through Jesus Christ and through what Jesus did on the cross, has given us eternal life. And in that sense, he says rejoice in this. 
even though you're going through trials and tribulations right now, he says, rejoice in the reality of what is yet to come. There is not a person that I know that doesn't go through some kind of trial and tribulation in the sense of, of, of this life. If we live long enough, we'll experience the death of loved ones. Very difficult. Except when those loved ones know the Lord and we have a confidence that even though we miss them and even though it's a, a sadness for us, which is legitimate and okay, we grieve because we miss them. We rejoice because they're in, in the process of entering into this final phase of their reward tied to this living hope. And we have that coming. We will join them. And so we rejoice in spite of what goes on in the world. Because no matter what happens in this world, nothing can interfere with what God has chosen to do with us. He has caused us to enter into this relationship with the living hope, Jesus Christ. And it's ours. And nothing can separate it. The power of God guards it. I wrote down here, Bob, your hope is real. Rejoice in this. How does this all end? Well, look at the, the ninth verse. The outcome of your faith is the salvation of your souls. Eternal life. The salvation of your souls. Anybody who has confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, it says you are saved. That is the salvation of your soul. You have eternal life. And with that, it's nothing can sway that, change it, interfere with it. God is guarding it. All of this is demonstrated, revealed, made visible. I don't know how to put it together at the cross. And it's confirmed through the resurrection. Of Jesus Christ. We can know that we know that we know because of what Christ has done at the cross and through his resurrection that what he has promised he can and will deliver. We have a living hope. Not a dead hope like the world. We have a living hope. We are the children of God. When we go to communion, we celebrate this living hope. Every time we're at communion, there, there's so many different things that, that, that communion can bring out in us. But today I want you to just think in terms of that idea. Of we have a living hope through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He shed His blood on the cross. He came in the flesh. And he shed His blood on the cross. He sacrificed for us and paid in full the price of our sins. When he said it is finished on the cross, it was done. And what he has done for us is guarded by God himself, protected by God himself to be completed in us. 
And so Paul could write, God will complete what he has started in us. Period. Let's go to communion this morning. Ask the singers to come up. And uh, as we go to communion uh, this morning, uh, we have, uh, we're still uh, not passing the communion around. And so we have the communion in two formats here. One is in a uh, cup that has the, the juice and the bread together, if you would like it that way. And, and the other one is we have it in the packet uh, that has both the bread and the, the juice as well. So while we are singing, if you would come up to the front here to pick up your communion, or you can one person can come and pick it up for two or three, but it, that's possible too. Uh, so... Uh, just uh, we'll do it that way today. In the book of Matthew, in the 26th chapter, at what we typically call the Last Supper that Jesus shared with the disciples, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. 
Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Lord, we thank You for these emblems that remind us of Your love for us. The sacrifice that You made. That we might rest in You, our living hope. Cause us to think about this frequently and, 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 and realize it's only through You that we have eternal life. There's no other thing that we can do or offer but to rest in You for what You have done for us. We worship You. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close?